look to the scriptures today, we're wrapping up our series together on uh, growing and floating down the river of grace, trying to find ways to, to tools to use, whether it's a spiritual boat, spiritual oars, spiritual inner tube, but things that help us maximize God's grace in our life so he can influence us, so he can draw us close, so he can grow, grow us up and help us be as healthy as human beings as possible. And so I hope in the last several weeks you've kind of renewed some of your tools in your toolbox for floating down the river of grace, whether it's uh, emphasizing your prayer life a little bit more, whether it's committing to read a paragraph or two of Scripture every day and ask the Lord, Lord, what out of this can I need to hear and live and believe and do? Whether it's like last week, maybe trying fasting for the first time, if your health is able to, uh, to fast from a meal or two and seek the Lord in that time of prayer. But I hope that uh, you're trying some new things and growing in your disciplines. This morning, we wrap up with sort of the final two disciplines, and that's the discipline of worship and the discipline of the Lord's Supper. Two great gifts of grace that, uh, that God has told us, do this so that you may walk with me. And so to help us in this journey today, we're turning to Luke's gospel, to the life of Jesus, and see how Jesus dealt with uh, his worship day. And so in the 14th verse of chapter 4, we pick up the story. Jesus has just been tested through fasting out in the desert, and he is coming back in to begin his ministry, and here is how that ministry began. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, brothers and sisters, uh, the people kind of turn on Jesus shortly after this, but that's not part of the story that we're going to get into today. But I want to invite you as we prepare our hearts, will you join me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, help us remember that you, O oh God, are exalted that we have been made to love you and to worship you. 
May the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I've now been on this world a little over 50 years. It's, it's hard to believe I've been around that long. But anyway, um, in that time, I have learned a few things, I think, that are true. That I know not just because the Bible says so or whatever else says so, but by experience, stuff that's really true about us as human beings in particular. And one of those qualities that I am convinced of is the quality that in our DNA, somewhere deep within us, we are wired to worship. We are hardwired to worship. Like some of you I know, um, computers can be hardwired, right? They have certain things in their brain that just are a given. For instance, your phones are hardwired. If you have a new phone, your phone may be hardwired to accept the new 5G data stuff. Now, if you have an older phone, that 5G may not work, right? Because it's not hardwired into the phone. In a similar way, as human beings, by nature, our natures are hardwired for worship. Now, what is worship? Worship in biblical times represented uh, going up to a king, someone greater than any of us here anyway. And if, if you adored that king, you would offer to kiss his hand or kiss the ring in honor or in worship of that uh, leader on earth. That was the biblical picture of worship. It's something that we adore. It's something we love. It's something we want to lift up and exalt and make greater in our life. And as we do, uh, we worship. Now, one of the challenging things that we learn from Scripture is this, though, that most of us worship things that aren't worthy of worship. Most of us invest our time, our love, our adoration, our exaltation to things in our lives that are not worthy of worship. And so because we're wired to worship, we do, but we worship the wrong things. The Bible has a name for this, especially in the Old Testament. That name is idolatry. And for instance, you know, some of us, we get to be about 20, 22, 23 years old. We think, I want to make a million dollars. I want to be a big success. I want to do a job so well that I can retire early. And so we make our work our job. We make our work our God. And we worship our work. But as we worship our work, we neglect the family at home. And then we wonder why our marriage is not going well. Or we wonder why our kids uh, aren't happy with us. It's because we have chosen to worship something that is not fit. Not just that, but we might worship other things as well. You know, we might worship good things. We might worship our spouse, or we might worship a relationship, or we might worship, I think, in our media today and all the things that are going on, we worship sex and sexuality, and all those dynamics get out of control. 
Others, they struggle with addictions, and addiction is a form of worship of whatever that addiction is. It's all because, on the one hand, we're made to worship, but on the other hand, when we worship the wrong things, harm happens, bad stuff happens, brokenness happens. So we've got to worship something greater than us, but even that can't be anything, brothers and sisters. Because some of us, we love our country and we're very patriotic. But if you worship your country, it can bring harm to the world and the community and even that own nation. So there is a balance. You know, you've heard the saying, God first, and then other things second and third and fourth. And that really is true if we'll do it. But that means as... A Christian people that we have found a place where we can worship that will bring fulfillment, that'll bring joy, that'll bring life, that'll bring hope, that'll help satisfy us and grow us and mature us and make our life not worse. It won't bring harm, but it'll make us the best we can be. And that is to worship the one who made us, to worship God who holds all things in his hands. To worship the one who, for instance, um, holds galaxies, not just stars, not just planets, but holds galaxies in his hand. To worship the one who created the heavens and the earth, who made us in his image, who made this world incredibly mysterious and awesome and wondrous and beautiful whether it's the beauty of a sunset or sunrise, whether on the beach or on the mountains, we can be overawed by creation, and it should cause us to worship the one who made all these things, the God of the universe. We were made for worship. And when we worship God, the one who is all-wise, who is all-good, who is all-loving, who is all-powerful, who cares for us and wants our best, when we worship God in that way, brothers and sisters, we find who we're meant to be. You know, I think it was Blaise Pascal, right, that said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Now we see this in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. For one of the very first stories of the Old Testament is a story about worship. The story of Cain and Abel. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain brought his worship sacrifice to the Lord, but he didn't do it with the right heart. And because he didn't really, his heart wasn't in it, his offering wasn't accepted. But his brother Abel brought his heart and his offering to the Lord full-heartedly and it was received and that produced envy between the two brothers one who worshipped well and the other who had his heart in the wrong place and as a result it ended in death strife and loss that very first story reminds us how critical it is that we get our worship right and if that wasn't enough, then we could fast forward to the Ten Commandments, brothers and sisters. And there in the Ten Commandments, we find the first four commandments have to do with worship. 
You shall have no other gods before you. You shall not make any other idols. You shall not do this. You'll, you'll set aside a Sabbath where you can rest and encounter me. All the, the first priority of life was worship because we were made to worship the Lord. And so even here in this story, if worship is that important, right? We would expect it would have also been important to the Son of God, Jesus. Now, I know there are some of you out there and some listening maybe on, online who'd say, well, Chris, you know, I, I understand that worship thing, but I enjoy worshiping uh, out while hunting or while fishing or while playing golf or, or, you know, just being outside is where I worship. And, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. There's definitely nothing wrong with getting to go to the beach or hike a mountain. Those are great places to worship as well. And Jesus sought out those quiet places alone on the mountains and in the valleys where he could pray and worship. But if you notice our story today, it was his regular practice to be in worship with the people of God. Notice it says, verse 15, he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And so he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. And I want you to catch these next few words. As was his, what? Custom. As was his habit. That is, Luke wants to remind us that the habit of public worship was a critical piece that Jesus embraced. This is important for me and for others who gather to come and worship. And so we see this in the local, early local faith community, the synagogue. The synagogue occurred even before there was ever a church, right? And we don't exactly know when synagogues began because early on, worship for the Jewish people happened at the temple. But the temple was in Jerusalem, and usually if you went to temple worship, you would go maybe three times a year for the festivals. And those were an exciting place to be. I mean, there would be choirs singing, there would be a band playing, there would be sacrifices going on. There would be hundreds and hundreds of people around. And, and it would just be an energetic, exciting place of celebration and festive worship. But then you'd go home, and you wouldn't have anything for several more months until the next festival. And we're not sure when, but maybe, maybe when the temple was torn down and the Jews were kicked out and had to go to Babylon sometime in this time frame at least they started to say well we can't go to the temple to worship anymore we've got to stay faithful where we are and and to do that we need somebody who knows how to read and so let's gather the people around with a with a Levite someone who studied the scriptures and we will have synagogues where we can worship and hear the word and that's what they did. And as synagogue began meeting, so in Jesus' day in the early church, the church kept it going, moved it from Saturday to Sunday, but they still believed in the essential of worship. Because as I mentioned, right, if worshiping the wrong thing harms us and traps us and captures us, we want to worship in a way that sets us free. Do you notice what Jesus quoted from Isaiah that day? 
He said, listen, guys, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is, God has sent me to set you free, to worship in a right way where your life is in tune with the God of the universe and where God can bless you to be a blessing for those around him. And so in our worship, Jesus guides our way. Now, one of the things about worship that, uh, that I want to share is, you know, we want to do a great job every Sunday. I want to do a good job every Sunday. You know, I, I don't look forward to those Sundays where you go home and say, man, Chris was really off this week. He just like totally dropped the ball, didn't he? Now, I hope you don't have to say that too often. But ultimately, y'all, we're not here to perform for you. You got that? We're not here to perform for you. You see, the idea of worship is there is an audience. One pastor back in the time said there is an audience of one. There is an audience of one. And we all are here to give all that we are, to lift him up, to glorify his name, to enjoy his presence to let them know we're thankful for His gifts because God is worthy of our worship. And so as we come together today, my question for you is, help us. How can you participate with us in worship? What things can you bring to offer yourself to, to lift up your heart to give glory to the one who made you special and gifted you in ways that you can use and share in worship. Because, brothers and sisters, the Lord is looking to all of us in what we do in these moments. You know, I wish, as I said, every Sunday would be great, but it's not always the case. Oh, forgive me, this thing is... It keeps going like this. I don't know why. But, oh, well, we'll, we'll bear with it. Um, I think of my granddad's church growing up as a kid. It was a county church in Livingston, Tennessee, Middle Tennessee. That's where I went to church most as a kid. I, we didn't go a lot uh, in my childhood otherwise. But I remember going there regularly, and uh, the choir would sing, and it, it wasn't anything like this. It was like a handful of people. My granddad was one of them. He sang in the choir all that I could remember. I'd, I'd sing occasionally with him. But, uh, but it would be a small group, and they'd make a joyful noise. And I, and I encouraged the word noise. It wasn't very good. It really, I mean, they did their best, but it wasn't very good. But I was always impressed because the preacher would get up after the anthem or whatever it was, and he'd say, glory, hallelujah. Thank you. God is lifted up on the seat of your praises. And he kept doing that over and over and over again when it wasn't very good. It was the best they could do. But we didn't have any voices like Mark Elliott or you know any of the others up there, Teresa. But they gave their best. And you know what? The Lord took that group 
that service of worship and began to bless it and grow it. And people began to come into the presence of that worshiping community and began to get excited. God is here. His presence and power are here. And we're just going to bask. And it turned that church around. You see, our vision, brothers and sisters, is the day that is coming. The day that is coming is in Revelation. There is this picture of a cosmic worship service. And in that worship service, is it going to be just a lot of white folk? No. They're going to be brown and yellow and purple and orange-haired and green-haired and whatever else, tattoos. It says people from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. People from the Middle East, people from Latin America, people from Russia, people from Ukraine, people from Europe, people from China, people from India. They're all going to be there gathered around the throne, and there they're going to be offering their hearts and lives in worship. That that's what the kingdom looks like, and because that's what the kingdom looks like, brothers and sisters, that's what we are to do our best to look like here on earth as well you know wouldn't it be amazing if we grew in our community so much that we had a strong hispanic population so much so that that maybe we had to do uh, some kind of worship where they could hear it in spanish if they needed to and be here worship wouldn't that be kind of cool wouldn't it be cool for this place to just have all sorts of different people come and worship with us whether they're asian or Hispanic or African American it didn't matter but we want to worship like the kingdom of God worships and that is what God is calling us to that's what we were created for and the final piece of that is what we will celebrate in just a few minutes and that is communion at the heart of Christ, at the heart of Jewish worship was the word at the heart of Christian worship what was added to the word was the table And brothers and sisters, this table is a special and sacred table. I I think of our founder, John Wesley, who, since he was an Anglican priest, he could have communion about any time he wanted. And so for Wesley, he would find ways to have communion more than once a week. He'd probably have communion two or three times a week. And, you know, maybe once at church, and the next time he'd do it at a Methodist thing, and then some other Methodist thing. But, But communion was such a big avenue of grace that in this piece you see ancient worship had to do with offering had to do with giving like Cain and Abel like Abraham and his son and here Jesus gives a picture of his life his death and his resurrection and he says this is my offering for you you couldn't offer enough to buy your life you can never offer enough to purchase your salvation I will make the offering of worship for you so that when you break my body and eat it you'll remember that my broken body nourishes your life right now right here in this place And when you drink from the cup and taste the wine, the grape juice on your tongue, 
that you will remember that my blood purchased you for God. It was poured out so that you could be given life to the full. So that you can know that there is a feast, a party, and a banquet coming one day that none of us are going to want to miss. It is going to be the party of the ages. And everyone will want to be there. Because that's where our Lord is. That's where our heart is. That is where our worship is. So brothers and sisters, we need your help as we worship the one who made us and his son and the spirit will you give yourself to worship and meet God at the table so that he can speak life into you for the week ahead I hope you will continue to make worship and communion a regular part of your life because Jesus did and if we're going to follow him, that's what we will do too. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and love today. And Lord, um, it gets easy for us to get excited and worship about a Final Four basketball game or a football game or maybe a rock concert or other music we like or enjoy. So Lord, help us give as much energy of our heart and lives to you, for you are worthy. We remember that your name is exalted and that when we connect with you and surrender and worship, we find healing, we find freedom, we find wholeness, but most of all, we find you in our midst, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, brothers,